the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications, data networks built for business. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is our first episode for 2015. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Emma Branham. I am Joa. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, uh, the two of you. Uh, now, starting with you, Emma, maybe you can fill people in on uh, on why you're on this episode in particular and uh, and where you fit into the, uh, the technology and media world in New Zealand. Well, indeed. Well, for my sins... Um, or for my pleasure, I suppose. I went along to CES this year um, as part of the TV3 crew. I have a little tech segment which runs on our morning show, First Line, once a week, um, where I talk about all things robot-y, gadget you name it. Thank you. And you, ha. Well, I don't know why I'm on this program. I just clicked on something on the internet and it turned out to be this. So, uh, anyway... Hello. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you for joining us. This is uh, this is our CES 2015 sort of wrap up show because the three mm. of us uh, were indeed in Las Vegas last week for uh, for CES, otherwise known as the Consumer Electronics Show. Although the um, uh, the Consumer Electronics Association, uh, who put the show on, no longer call it the Consumer Electronics Show. So it was the international one. We had to say the international CES now. Yeah, but it's still it's CES rather than the Consumer Electronics Show. So yeah. I guess the theory is that it's supposed to cover a whole lot more than uh, than Consumer Electronics. Yeah, it had storage this year, for instance, which was interesting, and um, not so much software though. No, lots of well, all sort all sorts of tech stuff really. Now, first mm. up, let's let's talk about. What I think was probably the uh, the coolest thing on uh, on the show floor at CES, yeah, uh, from the folks at Mercedes Benz. Oh yeah, wasn't that the sexiest thing you've ever seen? That is some sexy tech. Yeah, very yeah, no, sexy. Pretty pretty much. I mean, we still had to walk through dire amounts of uh, I don't know car audio and uh, drones and whatever rubbish. <laughs> but it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. That's, that thing is beautiful. It looks so futuristic, doesn't it? So we're talking about uh, Mercedes F015. Is that the right uh, terminology for it, Emma? You you were, you queried them a lot on uh, the terminology. I think so. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. But I think you can. You know, you just have to take one look at this car, and you know that it's the best thing that you could possibly see on the roads if it ever gets there. Well, it's called luxury motion as well, apparently. Or so a living. So it's the F105, luxury F- motion. That's you have right. to lo- lower your voice a bit when you say that so. Or a living room on wheels, I think, is the other way yeah. they described it. Now, why is it so special? It's special because it's self-driving. Self-driving? Well, there's been a bit of self-driving demos before. There have, but rather than it just being self-driving, you can actually turn around and chat to your friends in the back. Yeah, I thought that was quite cool because you sit – well, the, the view that uh, that – yeah, I most enjoyed of it, and for those that have seen the photos online, you'll see that where the driver's seat and the front passenger seat actually are, you know, spun around 180 degrees. So it, it does be- look like a sort of a lounge on wheels. Yet that can happen while the vehicle is taking you from uh, from A to B. There was another yeah. feature that I quite liked as well um, to do with the the front panel of the car. If the driver is spinning around talking to his friends in the back and the car's driving along, Mm. and so that they don't have an accident, if there's a pedestrian there, the car actually speaks to the pedestrian and projects a zebra crossing. 
I think. Is if what if it's me. nighttime, it can project a zebra crossing. Uh, if not, well, regardless, there's uh, basically a panel of LEDs on the on the front instead of a normal front grill that can sort of point the uh, uh, the pedestrian in the direction that they should be walking and sort of give them that indication as well as the, uh, the verbal cue. Is that what it does? I thought it said when they sort of. Get out of my way, pedestrian. I am Mercedes. And then she shows a rude signs on that, Dallas. And then it pours okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, well you, may, you may be able to reprogram it to do that. <laughs> I should have um, it. <laughs> and I imagine if this if this uh, car ever is uh, launched, because, it, you know, we must say it's a concept vehicle, mm. uh, but it is a fully working uh, concept vehicle. So, uh, you know, all of those bits and pieces supposedly work. Then, uh, yeah, I imagine there will be somebody that will figure out how to uh, hack into it and modify some of those features. Fully working, but I asked one of the designers, whether they, one of the main designers, whether they'd actually been out in it, and they said no. Well, I'm a bit confused about it because apparently uh, MS cameraman Hayden saw it uh, driving in Vegas at night. Yeah, they, right. took, they took it out in the evening, and I think it, uh, it also went... Uh, it's, uh, it, it, uh, it drove itself from... Uh, uh, from Silicon Valley to... Um, that was Audi, I think, drove from... Yeah, that, was, that was, wasn't it Audi? Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Am I getting mixed up here? Thank you for correcting me. They were me. rivaling them. They were trying to be the biggest <laughs> and the best, and they drove all yeah. the way from San Francisco yeah, okay. to Vegas. Um, but, yeah, very, very cool piece of technology. And I guess, you know, what this highlighted to me is how the CES show, which used to be around TVs, VCRs, and then, you know, computer techie stuff, Mm. uh, has gone from having no uh, auto manufacturers there, you know, say a decade ago, uh, to where now most of them are, are there showing off their new technology, whether it's the fact that they're uh, uh, fuel cell vehicles, which is uh, was one of the things about the uh, mm, uh, the, the FO15 and their Toyota were showing that, and I think there were there was at least one other. Um, so yeah, whether it's that, whether it's the self drive, but it's all about the technology now that's going into the cars. Mm. Uh, and this was actually the the global uh, debut, I suppose, for um, you know from Mercedes' perspective, which is interesting because the Detroit Motor Show is on this week, the following week, and that was usually where everything got got shown off. Right, right, yeah, no, that, that is interesting, and uh, it's it's funny you said that about security because I asked the uh, guy who was sort of uh, looking out for the Chevy massive, massive you uh, thing. In the in the uh, the other event, um, because they they've set up their cars, a four G LT base station, so it's like got really fast bulb and everything else. So ask them if the uh, cars, uh, like steering and braking and everything else, networks are air gapped, so it's, uh, so they're not connected directly to the LT network. And he had no idea what I was asking. So, <laughs> so I said, "Well, you mean they can actually be accessed over the internet?" So yeah, sure, you know. So uh, I don't know if I'd drive a car like that myself. There uh, could be there could be a few uh, ch- yeah ch- challenges from that sort of security perspective, hmm. right? Somebody hacks into your vehicle while you're uh, you're driving it down the road and uh, yeah. re- reroutes you, or uh, yeah, turns off your brakes, uh, turn you know, turns put your I don't know accelerator full or whatever. But the um, I can't remember his name now. Uh, um, the uh, Mercedes uh, designer we were talking to, Stefan Bossi, I think his name was Dr. Stefan Bossi. 
He said it. You say uh, that so well. You do. Thank you. <laughs> Not at all. Um, he's, he's, he said that uh, 2030 was kind of a realistic time frame for these due to regulatory issues, as he called it. And I've seen that elsewhere as well. I'd like to think these things are going to move a little bit quicker. Well, it's uh, insurance, really, because if, if, if the car drives itself and you have an accident, which you probably will in some form or the other, then who's, who's actually responsible? Good point. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I want to get behind the wheel of a, of a driverless car at the moment or not get behind the wheel, sit in a car that's driving along like that. I mean, I can't think of anything worse of handing the responsibility over to to the car. Well, I'd, I'd say for the first few thousand kilometres, you're going to be hovering over the steering wheel yeah. and uh, not really ceding control to the vehicle, right? But there's, there's going to be a point in time mm. uh, where, you know, where, where our confidence sort of increases enough and we realise... Actually, the technology can maybe do a better job than what I can do. But you're right about that. The um, the sort of maybe the hacking side of things, you're as well, because mm. they they have done in the last year or two at some of the hacker conferences. They um, they've shown that that it's actually really easy to break into that technology. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, it's I was, so frightening. I, it is. I was, I was covering. Uh, I was talking to Paul Vixie, who uh, is one of the Internet overlords, and he, he mentioned some work done at the. One of the San Diego universes, come in with the exact name of it, but basically they encoded a music track, an MP3 track. So each time you put in a CD, you would switch off your brakes in a, in a General Motors car because the, the media player was not isolated from the rest of the car's networks. So they were able to create a special MP3 track and just basically control the car through that. And oh, they're okay. trying to do it via Bluetooth as well at the moment. Whoops! <laughs> it is. That could be, uh, yeah, that could be a real problem. Yeah, so don't don't ever play song number eight or whatever on your CD because that's a bad one. <laughs> now the other thing that the Mercedes had, and I know uh, BMW was showing this off as well, uh, is gesture controls when you're uh, when you're in the vehicle. So, yeah, mm. the the concept of that sounds dangerous with, you know, my sort of funny hands waving around. That, that I don't think that's safe. Yeah, well, I, I mean, there are some <laughs> gestures that it probably ignores that might cause offence to uh, you know, other people outside the vehicle if you happen to use those gestures. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm kind of curious how this might work and how accurate it, uh, it could be. Talking yeah. about... Talking about um, BMW, um, did either of you see the technology that they were showing off where you could um, bring your car out of the garage or operate some of the um, software yeah. in the car the, with your the, smartwatch? The parking capabilities, right, which you could do from your Samsung smartwatch. There are, you know, I guess, a few ways of, uh, of doing it. Hmm. Yeah, I think I mean that's a little bit of a step along from what we saw last year because they did show some thing, similar things off uh, last year. At at the moment, I think they have to have that particular car park uh, in their database for it to work, so that's not just a universal thing that will figure out every car park. Oh right, yeah, I thought it was done with cameras and uh, GPS and everything else, so they actually have to have it uh, mapped out before. 
Yeah, my understanding is there's got to be sort of like a valet, you know, valet parking point, which there there is at you know every car park at uh, yeah, in, maybe some in, sort of in, in Las things. Vegas. It might not be quite the same case here and uh, everywhere where you park your car in New Zealand just yet. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to have that point mapped out, and then uh, when you, you know, let's say it's it's parked a car and then you want it to come back to you, you've got to be at that valet point, and the car will uh, yeah drive up and pick you up from that spot. Useless. Next item. The world is becoming lazier and lazier. I mean, I know what, what was one of the, the, the hot topics of CES was, you know, the Internet of Things. There's no point getting off the sofa anymore. No, I mean, Wi-Fi kettles. Jesus, that's, that's, that's amazing. So now you can just sort of sit there with a the smartphone and turn on the kettle. Turn on the kettle, control the crock pot from your uh, chair in your office, have it turn on at home so that uh, dinner's ready just in time. What what I think we are missing, though, in in that front of not not having to get out of your chair uh, is the robots aren't doing enough for us yet. So... There, there were one or two robots on display. There was one that could uh, get a get a drink out of the fridge, although I think the fridge had to be configured in a particular way, and it sort of you know, slid a tray up to the fridge, and it you know bumped something, and the the yeah. you know, the beer or the coke or whatever fell out onto the tray, and it would bring the tray over to you. Um, but not really a whole lot of what we've seen in uh, in science fiction movies. I agree. I mean, I am. I was expecting to see all sorts of exciting looking robots wandering around doing things, and and no, we didn't see anything like that really. No, it's a Terminator still a while off, I guess. Possibly, possibly. Uh, well, no, the vehicle could be the Terminator. Yeah, uh, in in its own way. So, yeah. Now, the, in terms of Internet of Things, uh, I mean, these days, I mean, anything that connects to the Internet, I guess, sort of falls into that space. Yeah. Emma, what were the things that sort of you know you found interesting? Because you you were having a, a bit of a, a look at a few of these uh, devices. In fact, we've got one uh, one one sitting there uh, next to you. That's right. Well, there was a. I was looking particularly for very quirky ones, and and there was two that sort of stood out for me. One was um, a belt that you could wear that um, you could sit down and it would loosen, and it could <laughs> literally gather um, data on whether you're eating too much, what you were eating, that kind of thing. And yeah, keep, keep an eye on tracking your weight. I'm not sure the the belt will be able to tell what you're eating. Well, not what you're eating, but you fill in it on the app. But it's what a fantastic yeah. idea to be able to do all of that. The <laughs> other one that I really liked was the wireless toothbrush, um, which would again you could connect to your dentist theoretically, couldn't it? Um, yeah, so it connects through uh, your iPhone, possibly Android as well. Uh, and it's designed. It's designed. For, this one is the um, the one we're looking at is the Rainbow Smart Toothbrush. It's designed for children to encourage them to have good brushing habits, to brush regularly, and to get their sort of technique right. You pair it with a smartphone or with an iPod Touch, and it adds a sort of gamification element to to their brushing. So, so uh, hang, hang on a sec. So you're proposing, or you're not proposing, or Rainbow's proposing that. Uh we take this toothbrush and we take a smartphone, an iPod, whatever, into a bathroom, yes. put it in children's hands, yes, and let them loose with it. Yeah. Let them uh, no. drench it no. in the water. So no. you might need one of those uh, moffy cases, or uh, oh. you know, or or some something else to uh, protect. 
the phone from uh, from from getting drenched. We've got one here. Um, it is something that uh, we'll be reporting back on in the next little while to to see uh, how how it goes. Um, no, it won't be me that's uh, doing getting uh, the 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 rating for brushing teeth. Well, maybe it will be actually. We'll we'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, for my youngster who's uh, who's in the process of uh, learning to brush. We will, uh, yeah, we will see. There were quite a few different um, wearables on display at the show. Was there anything that really stood out to you? Oh, um, wearables. I, I don't know. I was looking at the Polar's thing because Polar was actually a company kind of started a whole wearable thing with the activity monitors. You know that. That's right. Uh, yeah, with the uh, chest strap for um, measuring your heart rate and everything else. And um, I was because the thing is, when I looked at all these things, so they, they looked really clunky the design of them and uh, I just wouldn't really want to have something like that on me you know got sort of big fat blob that you have to recharge once a day or maybe every two days and I wish they could sort of get the design a bit more right on all of them yeah more um, attractive and a bit more usable generally yeah well well, both and also you know if you've got a, a smart device on your wrist that tries to do too much like you have to sort of swipe and a long press or click or you know find buttons and whatever that's just annoying i mean you must have strapped your smartphone to your wrist or whatever and do it that way i did see quite a lot of the wearables getting much smaller though i mean they had um um i saw a stick on it looked almost like a plaster that you literally stick on your chest and it was for use mm. by athletes to to record all the data and also that somebody had a ring where again it was sort of gesture control Mm. But a lot more user-friendly in a way than your average smartwatch. Now, there was the cycling jacket, um, which, which was an interesting one. So, yeah, when you're on a on a bicycle, uh, particularly in, on New Zealand roads, um, you're putting your life in uh, other Danger. people's hands, shall Danger. we say. Danger, yes. Um, now, this particular jacket, what it did it had lots of sort of led lights in there um so that you're more easily seen particularly in the dark but if you put your arm um out to turn well this was the the demo that i saw uh as the arm went out to indicate turn on the sleeve of the jacket were the sort of orange or amber led lights as well that would you know flash like blinkers on a on a vehicle to sort of indicate your uh, your turning so Maybe a little bit more visible, yeah. You know, as I say, certainly at at night than uh, than than normal. Of course, you have to work out you need to charge your jacket and these sorts <laughs> yeah. of things. But uh, you know, if it increases your chance of surviving on the um, on our roads, then that's got to be worth something, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. Actually, there's there's, there's another thing that you and I, Paul, looked at the uh, jump. Uh, meter, what, what was it called again? Oh yeah, that was, Do you remember uh, that? Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, so yeah, with a pro, pro basketball player uh, de- demoing it, and he was sort of jumping like I don't know how many uh, meters up in the air. Wasn't too many meters, but he was. He was. I mean, from it our perspe- like <laughs> from our perspective, it looked pretty incredible. Yeah. And what was it? He he had. Was he wearing? Was it in his pocket? It was somewhere on him, and it would measure <laughs> his his jump height, wouldn't it? Yeah. And and apparently, I mean, that sounds really rudimentary, but apparently that that sort of helps uh, to gather all the sort of stats and stuff. You know, there's sort of um, big data for uh, the games, so you can see how well a certain player has jumped throughout the season or anything else. 
Yeah, I think we're going to see more and more of that, and you know, ultimately we'll end up, uh, you know, with the stats that you see during any sports game. You know, a lot of those mm. tend to be stats from previous games and how well they did and so on. I think we'll start to see, you know, more and more live data that's able to say, you know. Look at how high this particular yeah basketball player has managed to jump, and you know the exact distance of a of a you know, kick of a football, and uh, yeah th- those sorts of things. Um, one thing I saw that wasn't particularly sports related, but was in the, in that wearables field, was a what a smart watch that they were saying you didn't need to charge, which seems like a pretty good idea to me. Looking at most yes. of the other smart watches and so on I've used, so what it does it uses standard uh, battery cells, and it looks like a normal watch, but in behind the um, you know where the hands are turning is a very small display which uses uh, e ink, so it uses a very small amount of uh, power to display. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, basically, you it would uh, use a low power Bluetooth connection with your with your phone, and be able to give you basic alerts. But you know, not all the monitors and sensors and so on that we're seeing in some of the other devices. But seems to me, if you only need to change the battery, I think they were talking every three to six months. That's pretty um, impressive. Then that's a lot more. Um, well, a lot more practical just from that convenience point of view, and I think that's probably why a lot of people stop using their wearables, is they're not getting enough advantage out of them, um, so they stop charging them, and then when it's not charged, they can't they can't wear them. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you, if you're starting to get like I don't know how many devices they had to charge every day or every two days, and you know that's just not really how it should be. No, and I guess you know as we as we see the uh, the wireless charging uh, really take off, that's where I'd expect it to uh, to make life probably a lot easier with mm. you know the, some of the devices, and and maybe they can't fix these issues with how long the battery life is, but if it's really quick or really easy to charge them, yeah, you know, for instance wirelessly, uh, then that's not not a bad idea. Um, yeah, we didn't see any new sort of battery uh, technology there. Nothing there, sort of. Oh, there, there, there was one. There was uh, there was a new battery that was demonstrated that you could uh, fully charge. Uh, they demonstrated in I think a Galaxy S five uh, smartphone. You could fully charge it in thirty minutes. Uh, That's pretty good. Now the downside of it was it was only half the capacity of a of a traditional battery, but it was charging. And I may be wrong even on the 30 minutes. It was charging, I think, uh, in about a quarter of the time of what a battery would normally take to charge uh, in a device. So some some differences in the battery. Actually, I think it might have been charging in 30 seconds. Maybe that's the... Um, that's the that's, I need to look that up, but there was a yeah. very, very fast charging uh, battery, but it had a lower capacity, and uh, yeah, quite, but using quite different technology to what we've uh, what we've been used to in the past. So, Store dot, I think it's called. Okay, Just having a quick look, it can. Yep, charge so, in 30 seconds. That's amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, that to me sounds absolutely yeah. brilliant. And obviously they're going to have to sort out if it's only half the capacity of a normal battery. Yeah, so they really need to fix that. Imagine that on a larger scale for cars, electric cars. And particularly if you could wirelessly, uh, yeah, yeah, that 30 second charge, so you just you almost tap it and hold it onto something for, uh, you know, 15 seconds and uh, it, it gets the... Uh, gets the, the the juice it needs that would be uh, that would be that great. would be amazing yeah 
So yeah, so and and I think uh, with CES there are lots of little things like that that you don't necessarily actually see when you're walking the show floor, depending on on where you get to, because there were. Emma, it was literally tens of thousands of uh, stands, wasn't it? I think you, were, you had think, the numbers on it. I think uh, there was something like, um, it was more than 170,000 um, people attended this show. And I think oh, it was some ridiculous number of um, gadgets, you know, tens of thousands of gadgets. 35 American football fields was the area that it covered in total. And we walked them all. Huge. It was, no, no, I think we saw about 5% of the whole show. Yeah, that's what yeah, I felt that like. It's just, just impossible to, get, to uh, ca- capture it all, really. I did love your description, Yuha, when we, we emailed after you'd got back to uh, New Zealand of, uh, of how, how you felt uh, upon your return after yeah. you know a flight to and from the US and uh, yeah, days of walking around the show floor. Yeah, club club seal. That's, club uh, seal. I can that's, that's, very that's, much relate to that. Um, pretty much that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure a club seal feels a lot worse, but it, it was a. You just felt so. Um, yeah, just so worn out and uh, as though you had been uh, beaten in some way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, it, it was good though. I mean, there's obviously a whole lot of um, stuff that you just sort of look at and think, well, it's just not going to happen. But um, you can see the big trends and uh, there's some sort of really quite brilliant things, you know, like the car and everything else, the Mercedes car. So it was, it was fantastic, actually. I didn't regret going at all. No, I think this year was probably one of, if not the best of the shows I've been to over the last well, maybe four or five years. Yeah. Uh, it seems like CES is, is really is growing and probably partly because of the, the miniaturization of computer, you know, uh, chips and we're able to now put processing capability or computer smarts into really really small items uh, like the Intel computer stick that's actually that's a good one to mention actually mm. so um, did you get to see that one at all I didn't get to see the, I was I was looking at the um, I mean I was watching the keynote and mm. uh, I saw that being mentioned I'm hoping to get one of those in soon because Intel's been working on that kind of uh, well, small form factors for ages. Yeah. I don't think they've actually managed to do it all that well. They've managed to create some little boxes they use as media players, basically. But that's sort of like, yeah, well, whatever. So this is the stick that can turn pretty much any... Well, turn a TV into a computer. That's right. So what yep. you're talking about is it's it's got an H. It's a little stick with an HDMI connection on one end. So anything that can take an HDMI input, TV or monitor, uh, computer monitor, um, and it's it's not a whole lot bigger than a than a USB uh, stick. Um, it has a USB connection to power it. It's got uh, the the Intel product and. There's apparently one kicking around my office uh, somewhere, that, a non, not manufactured by Intel, but one from a Chinese manufacturer um, that, that does, does the same thing. But uh, this is the Intel product we're talking about here that was announced at CES. It's got two gigabytes worth of uh, RAM, so it's a reasonably low end um, uh, and it's got um, you know a, a basic quad core uh, uh, atom chip in it, 32 gigs worth of storage, and a um, 
uh, an ability to it's got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and so on. So it, it really is there's the sort of core elements of a computer, and it comes with uh, Windows uh, eight point one. Windows eight point one, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you can have a Windows Windows computer. I don't know what this will launch at in New Zealand, but they're talking about a base price in the US of about one hundred and fifty uh, US dollars. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, that, I mean, obviously, it hasn't got a display and keyboard and uh, other bits and pieces like serial ports and everything else. Actually, those aren't too expensive to add, add in, are they? And I mean, you would be no. to an existing. But yeah, Emma and I were talking about the idea of a, you know, a, a well, a little portable computer. You, you know, you carry it on your key ringer in your pocket, yeah. And uh, you know, you turn up somewhere to do some work, or you're on holiday. You can plug it into the TV at the hotel. Always connected. Um, and yeah, you can always be, uh, you can always be be connected. You take a little Bluetooth keyboard and and mouse. One of these little Logitech ones we've got around here, for instance. Uh, um, throw that in your suitcase and uh, and away you go. Yeah, USB storage. It's uh, mm. got a one, one USB port as well, so all you need is uh, maybe one of those nice Samsung uh, one terabyte SSD. Yes, yes. And uh, I, yeah, you know, that, that, is, that would definitely work. Mm. As long as you've got a TV to stick it into. Now, each year at CES, there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets announced from the big manufacturers that we know that's going to come to market. And, uh, you know, the Intel Compute Stick was one of those. But there are all sorts of little obscure things, many of which, you know, certainly won't be commercially successful. Some of them just will will never be released. Um, 3D printing was one of the areas where I've... Curious how successful some of the manufacturers were going to be. Emma, we saw lots of 3D printers uh, in in one of the halls there. There was a whole yeah, a whole area dedicated to 3D printing, and yeah, I was sort of left wondering how many yeah how many of those manufacturers are going to be particularly successful because so many of the products are very very similar. Very similar, but I did like the fact that um, they seem to have come down quite a lot in price. So you'd have the desktop versions that you could literally get for a couple of hundred. Yeah, there was, what was it, 350 US for one that was a fully enclosed printer. They were talking about it for the education market and for for home use. It sort of auto-calibrated itself, which I know was one of the challenges with earlier 3D printers. I mean, that's pretty affordable. I think so, very much so. And and some of them were quite useful. One of the ones that caught my eye, um, well, there was two actually, was one that printed um, in chocolate. Chocolate, yes, yes, very, ta- very tasty. And there chocolate. Was chocolate, it was fabulous. Did you, did you what? Did you actually try it out? No, 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 I just <laughs> looked at it. It probably wouldn't have tasted very good once it had been did, printed did you, so and it was sitting it? there. Sitting there for a couple of days, you know, would have been pretty disgusting. So you could put a cake, you yeah. could put a cake un- into the uh, into the printer. Uh, I don't know if that one was big enough to put the cake, in, but you'd you'd be able to get something to put on on top of the cake, for instance, or make some. Oh, that's you know, you, the, and that was your, the food printer you were talking about. Yeah, there was make another a company one that logo you, out of chocolate. You could make exactly there was so there was quite a few ones doing chocolate, but there was also one new one that they were pitching at. Um, bakeries and the mm, like mm. and they were they, it was pretty impressive actually I mean you don't need to employ someone to make all the fancy decorations for you if you've got a 3D printer to you know to do it for you and again that was only I think they were they were marketing that at around 1500 US 2000 US yeah. maybe and they, they hadn't confirmed the pricing but they, they were saying it should be under 2000 US but, that, but that's that's terrible that's going to kill off all the patisserie artists you know, I don't I don't think that's so, so sad I don't think so <laughs> it was pretty Pretty basic. It could print. Um, it could do 
a it could do a, a design to go on a cake. Uh, it could do uh, sort of cookies. It had a cookie dough little uh, dropper that it was able to, uh, you know, do animal shapes and things like that. Um, there was even one that it did sort of as a, a jigsaw puzzle, so you could, you know, join these pieces together to make a little uh, giraffe, wasn't it? I think um, the problem and then at there the was moment pizza. is the speed of the printers. They're so painfully slow that until that can be resolved, I don't think they're really going to take off. Yes. Well, I guess it depends how big, you know, how much of a production line you've got and how much you're charging for these computer printed um, designs, doesn't it? But yeah, they will have to. They will have to um, end up with sort of much bigger, larger industrial you know, types of machines that can do yeah, bigger things. They can do them quicker and so on. But it's kind of fun seeing it start off and seeing seeing something a little bit different from what we've seen before. I'm interested. The pizza. Did you look at the pizza that it put out, Emma? I did. I thought that was quite. It looked. Real enough. I, I didn't sample any. <laughs> didn't of look the very thing. tasty. I've no, got to say. I, must admit, I didn't sample was, any of the food that was printed. So the the uh, the pizza that it was able to produce, it used it, it it you know made the dough in whatever sort of shape, and then it was able to drop on top of the dough a sort of a um, uh, you know a, a tomato sauce you know that usually goes on the base, and then drop some sort of cheese-ish looking thing on top um so yeah visually they might have been able to achieve something quite yeah reasonably unique but i can't imagine it being particularly uh tasty no Mm, mm. No. i I do have one of the just say no somewhere in my in uh in my bag really yeah they wrapped they've had one and packaged up so i and i i can't say i forgot to declare it because then i might be in trouble um so i won't say that uh, now, so as well as the 3D printing, there are also a whole lot of drones. Yeah, that was that was just all over the place. It's um, I don't know. I'm just not very impressed by it anymore. It's just yeah, okay, fine. See a camera on it, do a few things, sensors, that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah. Cool. I, I think that the smaller ones are perhaps a little bit more impressive. Um, I think, um, I can't remember which stand it was now, but was showing off um, Nixie, which is the little drone that um, mm. flies off from your wrist and reattaches. Well, those kind of ones are quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like seeing the, the smarts of these things improve as well. The, you know, the fact that there's enough intelligence now and in, and in, in a bunch of these drones that they can return back to base. So you lose connectivity from your whatever you're controlling them from. Mm. And they know how to get back to where where they started, so you don't just uh, lose them. Which you know, I've come across uh, a number of people that have lost varying uh, uh, you know planes and and other uh, you know I've lost my drone. remote control uh, devices for varying reasons. And uh, oh, drone, kind of where are thou? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a really cool application for drones, and that's actually in Australia, which. Uh, May sound a bit weird, but uh, they're trying to eradicate a whole bunch of really nasty weeds and stuff in Queensland, which thrive there because of the hot climate and everything else. And normally they'd have to uh, fly uh, normal aeroplanes with pilots and everything else. And it's pretty rugged terrain, and they have to go very low to take pictures of it and whatever. So it's dangerous work to use helicopters or aeroplanes for that. So now they're trying to use drones instead. And remote control them and basically video 
large areas, stay up for a lot longer than a pilot could, and also without risking the pilot's life, you know, going up and down mountains and everything else. That's kind of what I see drones as being useful for. And I think there's a huge opportunity for that yeah, here in New Zealand where we rely, you know, economy exactly. relies so much on agriculture. Yeah. And there's a huge amount of work that, you know, that goes in, particularly on, on some of those, uh, you know, large uh, yeah, stations in the, in the South Island and so on. Um, Definitely perfect yeah. for farming purposes mm. to cover a lot of ground. Yeah, and I'm sure... Um, I'm sure we'll see a whole bunch of, of things sort of you know, come out of that. Sometimes the, some of the drones probably aren't uh, you know, quite there yet in terms of capabilities and, and, and smarts, but probably most of what's what's needed is there. It will come down to the, the software that will uh, you know, do the things that are actually needed to... Uh, to well, this, 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 that's, that's one thing, but the uh, talking to these people who try to run them, the biggest issue, apart from regulatory stuff, which is that the... Uh, I don't know what they call again, the uh, air safety authorities. FAA and the US. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and, and also locally, they just won't let uh, you fly them without mm, a pilot. The civil aviation authority. Yeah, that's right, civil aviation, yeah. yeah. So, which, which is fair enough because, you know, these, these things can be pretty heavy and, you know, smack into someone who will kill it. But also, the fact is that you can't um, reach, you can't control them from large enough distances. So, you can't sort of, you know, set them off and uh, do like... Uh, things 10, 20 kilometers away. You have to be like at least three kilometers. That's, that's the biggest reach I've heard about. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly going to be a range of challenges with them. And, you know, we know, you know, where, where they started getting used and, you know, U.S. military, mm. um, yeah, there's nothing to stop some of these newer products being used for uh, for yeah nefarious uh, reasons in the future, and uh, yeah, there will yeah. There will have to be some uh, yeah uh, yeah, and I don't know what those will be. Some restrictions put in place to make sure uh, uh, or to to minimise uh, drones being uh, abused too heavily. Drone abuse. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Now, uh, as well as 3D printing, uh, now the bigger vendors. So we saw Samsung, LG, Sony, HP, Lenovo. I mean, all of the big the big boys in terms of consumer electronics and uh, you know PC technologies and so on. We're all at CES in various forms. Some of them weren't on the official show floor. <laughs> So they had their own, uh, you know, their their own events outside of the core uh, CES. Uh, some of them were just at, at, at media events. One of the products that I quite liked was the uh, 34-inch curved uh, monitor, which is, I think, an aspect ratio of 21 by nine. So you're talking something that's sort of, um, you know, virtually equivalent of two monitors side by side, yeah. uh, but actually one monitor and very nicely curved. Uh, the one, the one I saw first was from Hewlett Packard. They're talking about launching that really soon for uh, around nine 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 US, um, which is great. That's yeah, a really that, good price. That seems to me like a great replacement for having yeah. two monitors. I've always sort of stared away and always gone for a bigger monitor rather than two monitors. But same here. One like that, I think, would be would be perfect. It just it looked fantastic. Um, any any thoughts on that, Emma? Are you well, I a fan of the quite, bigger screens? I thought they were quite interesting. I mean, I haven't actually sort of played with the curved monitor myself. But actually, it would be perfect. If you were something like, a, you know, if you were a financial trader or something, you could have four curved screens all lined up, linked into each other. It would be much easier. 
And great for gaming too. I mean, this looked like a stunning gaming monitor. Brilliant for gaming. Um, now, the other thing that uh, that HP had was a um, a new sort of uh, immersive uh, experience system, which was, in some ways, it felt like Oculus Rift, but it wasn't. It wasn't quite that immersive and so you didn't put a whole headset on and and you were you know you was actually still looking at a monitor but you were putting 3d glasses on and you had a uh, a, a sort of a pen that you could hold in a, in a 3d space to control what was going on and what i liked about this over the the full virtual reality systems that block out everything else and and you're looking at the the virtual reality into a virtual reality headset was that the definition of it was really amazing and it didn't sort of it didn't take you um into a place where it was going to sort of mess with you give you a headache or uh, or be a display that would would you know i don't know not not look as clear as a normal monitor um this looked really amazing it was really really clear and it's the sort of thing somebody working in cad or or maybe 3D gaming, but I think yeah, more aimed at the professional sort of audience um, would be able to work on for a, you know, you could probably work on it for a whole day, whereas you couldn't do that with a virtual reality headset at this stage. Um, I'm sure there will be lots of lots of uses Sorry. for this. Did did you see uh, did you see any of that uh, sort of stuff? You heard, possibly you weren't at the event where that was shown off by HP. The curved monitors, uh, the curved monitor, and also the uh, the immersive sort of three D uh, monitor. I, d- I didn't see the immersive one. Mm. I saw the um, sort of curved screens from uh, LG and Samsung, and also HP. And like I said, I think that, I think that could be really good. Actually, um, I'm not sure of the specs because I'd like to have like the full uh, big color gamut so I can do my edit my pictures and uh, video whenever I need to but uh, for multitasking and stuff they look really fantastic so I just, yeah. they seem to run quite hot there as well so if we go close to them you could tell they were using a whole lot of energy, they were quite warm so I hope that's not the case because uh, that's kind of annoying but I think curved screens just work better the closer you are which is uh, a bit of a, probably not what uh, LG and Samsung and others want to hear because they're selling them as TVs as well. Yeah, well, I mean, my thought was that they're actually much better as a curved monitor than as a uh, as a as a curved uh, TV. I yeah. thought a you know a, a much better uh, experience. Yeah, overall, when you're when you're sitting very very close to it. Fully agree. Um, I mean, that's the. the, the curved TVs and stuff they've got fantastic image quality but because um, it's usually more than one person watching the whatever's on the TV and uh, Emma and I were talking about it uh, having that sort of sweet spot that one person can sit in or maybe even two people and everybody else gets a slightly degraded experience I just so that kind of negates the whole experience on the curved screen yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. And um, although the interesting thing was that one of the stats that came out at CES was from Samsung saying that more than half of the TVs that they sell today are now curved TVs, which was a bit of a surprise to me, I've got to, got to say. Wasn't it 4K TVs? Oh, uh, were they speaking 4K specifically? Yeah, I okay. think it would be that, yeah. That, that, 
that clarifies it a little bit. What did yeah. you guys think about um, the, the quantum dot technology that a lot of the major players were talking about in, in various guises? You, huh? Oh, you couldn't... Um, the TVs, I mean, the lighting and everything else in the uh, at CES, that was the suboptimal. And there's lots of people walking in front of you, you jostled and everything else. Um, I don't know how it was set up. Uh, it looked good. But, you know, you can't really tell until you get one yourself, one that's asset yourself and calibrate it and uh, look at things you've seen before and decide, well, this is really good. Or, oh, well, yeah, average. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, every time I go to CES and I look at the TVs, they always look amazing. And so, uh, you know, seeing seeing what was what was new this year, and you've got the quantum dot sort of uh, technology. You've got um, you know the the improved color gamut. Uh, we had uh, Samsung you know, using the term SUHD to describe their their uh, new TVs. There, you know, there are varying yeah. things in terms of improved brightness and um, you know supposedly uh, you know better uh, or definitely better you know color definition uh, coming through, but. I guess you know my feeling was well every year when I look at the TVs they look they look great and they're they're always you know what they show off at the top end is always a step ahead of what I actually have at home and what probably you know above ninety percent of most people will have uh, in their home. Well, what, their what you can what you, what you can actually afford as well. Yeah, I mean, the top end models aren't cheap. No, they're not. And the the other piece that that sort of plays into it is. These new technologies that that come through on the TV usually have very little relationship with what's being broadcast on TV. Certainly in New Zealand, but I think you know generally around the world. So you know we don't have anyone broadcasting in 4K yet. Um, Lightbox and QuickFlix don't deliver any 4K content. Uh, 4K will come, and so will sort of higher uh, these sort of higher color gamut uh, video when Netflix launches here. But in most regards. Um, you might spend a huge amount of money on one of these TVs, but you're not going to get all of the benefit, are you? But at least you know that you'll have the latest model and you'll be first in line when it all does happen. That is true. And I mean, and you can look, brag. If, if, if anyone is going to, uh, um, you know, long-term loan uh, one of these new TVs, uh, you know, I would certainly be very happy to uh, spend some spend some time with one. I thought um, all the various TV offerings were quite impressive, but some of them... Did make you know make me laugh in a way as well. Like Sony's skinniest TV, as I call it, and I get told off when I say skinny. It's not the skinniest TV. It's it's the the thinnest TV or the slimmest TV. But why can't it be skinniest? Well, apparently you just don't say that about TVs. I've I've had oh. um, I've had viewers complain. It's it's not skinny. It's <laughs> it's slim. And, but it was just slim above the waist, wasn't it? It was. It was about the size of one of their mobile phones. But. But only part of it. Mm, mm. But it is all about appearances at the end of the day, I suppose. The top half of the new Sony uh, TVs, and I think um, they were at least uh, up to 65 inch in, in terms of the you know the panel size. Uh, the top half they were saying was slimmer than their slimmer smartphone. So it was in the sort of five millimeter thick range, which I thought or thin range or slim range <laughs> hmm. uh, if I could get it right um, which is pretty impressive but then uh, yeah you you look at the lower portion where there's you know all of the smart TV elements and you know where you, where you plug in your uh, your Playstation or your Xbox or your Skybox or whatever and you know that bit was a whole whole lot chunkier wasn't it 
mm. um, but but it uh, it certainly looked pretty uh, pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm certainly I'm looking forward to, to to seeing those TVs in person in New Zealand and see yeah how they relate to us. Um, yeah, and but the I content have, we can see. And, yeah, and yeah. and and the content. So the, I mean, the best way we're going to get content at this at this stage seems to be from uh, Netflix. Yeah, ne- Netflix. So you know, there's very much that that weight. And I know you know I've asked the question, uh, you know, once once or twice of the the light boxes and and quick flixes. Um, around 4k content and yeah they haven't got anything announced but we we know that that's just part of mm. what netflix to de- deliver and in, in the markets which they're operating so but even when we talk about uh netflix it's only a small portion of their content that is actually available in 4k so you might get this absolutely stunning tv uh but you'll be relying on sort of lower definition content being being upscaled uh to yeah. to utilize well, it Although um, there's the UHD alliance now, which apparently is going to hammer out some standards for 4K content, because to my surprise, there doesn't have, no one seems to agree on how to do it. So, like you know, what kind of color depth and uh, audio, um, whatever. So, uh, I thought that all sort of worked out before they launched 4K, but apparently not. So now the UHD alliance is going to just make sure that everything will look the same and play the same on each TV. Yeah, and I think part of that is also to encourage the um, the the production of that 4K uh the 4K content as well, right? Mm. Um, now one of the other products that we were hearing about was um, 4K uh, Blu-ray players, so um, so it seems that that is now uh, that's now going to be happening for 2015. I think it was Panasonic that uh, showed off the first uh, Blu-ray player that can could play uh, for 4K or ultra high definition um, Blu-ray Blu-ray discs. Whereas at the moment the 4K Blu-ray players are just taking the the, the HD or full HD content and upscaling them to that uh, that right. higher, higher definition. I don't think that we've seen uh, really the arrival of maybe any. Maybe there's there's one or two demos, um, but we're not really seeing 4K uh, Blu-ray discs yet in terms of the media. So I no. guess that will. Uh, I mean that that's supposed to be happening this year to go alongside the uh, the new players. So um, there's a, there's a you know I, I guess a, a things happening on a few fronts that will deliver us. Um, this 4K or ultra high definition content. Yeah, because it's quite important to get the um, Blu-ray on board on this because what you see on Netflix is still quite compressed and it won't be the really high fr- frame rates like uh, 60, uh, 48, 60, and maybe up to 120 frames per second. Which, when you have high resolution like that, makes things look much much better and much more real. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's still that uh, yeah, the premium uh, image that you can get when it's coming off a off a disc as opposed to over the internet. Yeah. But that that's going to probably yeah change uh, yeah maybe sooner rather than later in terms of the quality that we can get as uh, ultra fast broadband becomes the norm and uh, you know Netflix and 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 the like end up with um, yeah higher and higher quality uh, streams over over mm-hmm. time. Uh, and new, um, yeah, new codecs for pushing that down the down your internet connection uh, without using up as much uh, as much bandwidth. 
Yeah. Um, now the other area that was I thought was just you know, kind of interesting around the, uh, the the smart TVs is that there have been a few changes. So Samsung, their new TVs have got the Tizen operating system uh, on them, which itself hasn't done particularly well on mobile devices just yet. They haven't been able to get much uh, traction there. But what they're saying is that virtually all of the apps that have been available on Samsung smart TVs today uh, will be available on this uh, on, on the new smart TVs with Tizen. Um, and the the uh, Sony uh, smart TVs are uh, moving to Android TV this year, and LG have updated their uh, WebOS to version 2. So there are varying changes sort of going on um, you know, behind the scenes there software-wise, which, which will impact what we end up seeing in terms of smarts on our, uh, and our TVs. And I think in, in most regards those things are good, Sony's approach, I think, is the most interesting, and they're going with a very, uh, um, yeah, they're not going with anything that's partic- it's not particularly unique to them that they're running Android TV because there are you know, a mix of uh, well, anyone virtually can build a TV and use the Android TV uh, software. So mm. I'm curious whether that puts them ahead because there'll be so much more software just available on the device uh, or. Or not, so I guess we'll see that uh, that over time whether that uh, is good or, or bad for them. I just hope they update the uh, operating system in the TVs regularly if it's connected to the internet. Mm. Otherwise, it won't be fun. Now um, that sort of takes us through most of the most of the highlights uh, from CES from my perspective. I mean, there were there were thousands and thousands of. Um, of gadgets and technologies and uh, vehicles from uh, little, uh, there was the uh, Gogoro um, smart scooter was one of the other things, which is uh, a uh, an electric scooter which you'll be able to uh, just pull your battery out of and uh, and and swap over at a at a charging location. Um, ah, there were. There were lots more things that we probably could uh, mention. Any other things that were sort of highlight or you found interesting? Uh, you you think that we should uh, we should also mention? Um, well, I did mention the Wi-Fi kettle, but the snowboard with the sensors was quite kind of interesting. I mean, if you're into snowboarding, um, oh yes, that's true. Uh, New Zealand's Swift Point, you know, the mouse that won an innovation award. That's right. Yes, yes. Great. very well. Yeah, good on them. Um, that was just so much there, really. Just the scale of it. You need to mention that the scale so big. What are they going to do with all the stuff when it's not, not in use anymore? Well, I've, what I found quite interesting was the amount of um, startups on display there where, you know, all the Kickstarter and Indiegogo little projects that you wouldn't ever, We'll probably never see the light of day, but it was yeah. fascinating to see them all on display. And it's like crazy. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And what a what a perfect show to do it at as well, because you get so much media attention. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, although there was there was so much stuff, there there will be many things that wouldn't get probably any uh, any coverage at all. Um, there there were two and diff- quite different areas of the show. There were two of the, the, I think possibly the two biggest um, 
bed or, or um, yeah, bed manufacturers in the US that were showing off um, smart beds, smart beds in some ways. So there was there was one that you could control, so it could sort of lift up at one end and you know bend itself to sort of. Oh, uh, soup, maybe if you're an invalid and, and you know you're stuck in bed, it'll you know lift your head up a bit at one end and just plain lazy uh, and so on. So I, when I was at the air stand, there were a bunch of people trying out these uh, these beds, and uh, they looked pretty worn out from walking the show floor. And I wondered whether any of them would actually ever get up again. Uh, they looked so comfortable. Um, Emma, you had a good look at, and I think um, this might be in one of your upcoming uh, TV3 segments, the um, uh, Sleep IQ uh, kids bed. Oh, this was such a clever bed. I mean, this tells the parents everything they need to know about a child's you know, sleeping pattern and environment and, and whether the, the temperature's right and whether they're sleeping properly and and all of that kind of thing. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of technology now that, that is... Well, it just, I come back to it, it makes us lazy, doesn't it? Parents yeah. don't have to get yeah. out of bed and check on their children anymore. They, no, it can, it can send you a message on your iPhone to yeah. tell you that your kid's gone up in the night. Uh, so maybe if you've got a sleepwalking uh, child, you're wondering if he's walking off, uh, if she's walking off sort of down the street or something, you can, uh, you can have the bed actually alert you that uh, they've got up in the night. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean th- that sort of does f- fall into the category of, you know, is this for real, and do we really need this technology? Um, but you know, on the flip side, I think that the technology w- just is getting lower and lower in terms of the cost to produce it. Um, that we will have, you know, some form of technology, uh, yeah, probably in in these things and many more over the next few years ahead, won't we? Because, you know, why wouldn't you just in- include it for the, even if it's just a small percentage of your audience that, you know, want to get an alert from a bed or want to get some sort of indication on how well, um, yeah, would give you, give you that indication on how well you're sleeping or how well uh, somebody else is sleeping. Well, what about the Samsung uh, boss, BK Yun, who was talking about um, having sensors in office chairs? So that when you go to meetings, they, they, they'll know who it is that's coming in there. And, you know, if that person is tense or wants to have a certain kind of PowerPoint or whatever. And also, yeah. he, was, he was saying <laughs> that something like 90% of um, their products will be connected by that's 2017. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, that's going to be quite a challenge for the internet because the routing table, not routing, it's already getting uh, quite full. It's got something like half a billion entries. So we need to move to IPv6 for that. But no one's actually really thought about how we're going to do this, have billions. What was the figure mentioned? 600 billion? Something like that. So stupid amount of devices. Yeah, we're yeah. Talking I mean, we're, to each other. We're, we're talking of many, many device, you know, devices per person uh, on on the planet that supposedly are going to be able to uh, communicate in some way. Although, you know, I imagine yeah. most of those won't necessarily uh, necessarily need their own public uh, internet address. They'll, you know, they'll communicate through cloud services and 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 so on. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure. As as time goes on, um, we're going to have to think about uh, think about these things. So yeah, 
Mm. Uh, any other any other highlights from from either of you? Before I mean, I think we're we're probably we've gone well over over uh, time because <laughs> well, there was it's one pretty hard to squeeze in um, you know so many things into one chit chat. Well, I, I blame this fairly and squarely on you, Herb, but there was one um, topic which we didn't actually discover until we left Vegas. Yeah. But, uh, but the brothels <laughs> designed <laughs> specifically for or, or targeting CES attendees. Yeah. So how were, they, how were they doing that, Emma? They were tweeting a lot. Apparently, social media, um, you know, the really good brothels were, were training all their girls on how to use social media properly and particularly Twitter because they're not allowed to advertise their services as such, but they are allowed to use platforms like Twitter. So they were coming up with all sorts of exciting ways to um, sell their wares. Right. So they were using the, the sort of CES 2015 hashtag and, and so on with some um, revealing pictures. Would Absolutely. that be part of it? Okay. I didn't dare to research that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and no. Apparently not something had- I I, uh, I noticed, but um, I I did notice when I tweeted with the hashtag that um, there was sometimes you know you'd sometimes get some new followers, so maybe one or two of those were um, yeah were Indeed. from that direction. And I was pleased to see that the, the tradition that was I think started last year, wasn't it, was continued where there were no real booth babes as such. I no, it doesn't doesn't seem to be a thing of uh, of of uh, of CES and and these sorts of tech shows generally now. I think it's uh, it's not uh, particularly well accepted to uh, to go. No, down I think that it's track. For, I think it's for the best. I mean, you know, that's just stupid. It got nothing to do with technology anyway. No, I've got to uh, got to agree with you there. Um, but for those that are, that are interested, we've got uh, we do have another show uh, coming together where uh, some of the interviews that were were carried out on the show floor um, will be included in another New Zealand Tech podcast episode. And we're also going to be reviewing some of the products that we either picked up at the show, were announced at the show, um, or in some way were related to uh, to CES. So we've got a few things. Things here at the moment, actually, the um, uh, one of the products that got got quite a bit of promotion at CES was the HTC uh, Re uh, camera, which is a, it, it looks a little bit like a um, uh, a submarine's uh, periscope. Um, it's a, a little handheld uh, camera. Um, Emma, oh, if you click that. the button on it, we might hear the little um, oh, the little click. This is a very strange looking device. Can you hear that? There you go. That's Emma just taking three photos for. Um, so you've got this little handheld uh, camera that's designed to sort of peer uh, in with your phone and can share uh, content via Wi-Fi uh, with your phone. Um, so that's an interesting little product. Uh, it was announced pre-CES, but it was it was heavily uh, shown off at uh, CES. Uh, there's the new electric toothbrush we'll talk about. Um, Logitech have their... Um, their new uh, bigger UE boom. I've forgotten what they're uh, what they're calling it, uh, but we'll have hands on that when it arrives in New Zealand next uh, uh, week or so. We've got some new wearables from uh, from Sony that are quite uh, uh, quite interesting, and um, I think there's one one or two other bits and pieces as well. So um, we'll cover those off in uh, in a future episode. All right. Well, yeah. thank you, thank you both for uh, for joining us. Now, you where where do we uh, where do we track you down on online? What's your uh, your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is much too long. I didn't realize that when I signed up, but it's <laughs> Juha Sarnen. That's one word. 
All right. Well, we'll, we'll include that on the uh, nztechpodcast.com uh, page for those that, that, that want to uh, want to follow you. And uh, you you've been uh, reporting for the New Zealand Herald, so uh, I was. Yeah. There there will be a chunk of uh, content uh, up on New Zealand Herald for people that are interesting and interested yep. uh, in a few more of you his opinions. And yes, Emma. Indeed. And I'm I'm similar to you. I've got a very long Twitter handle. It's just my name, all one word, Emma Branham. I should think of something a bit quirkier. And um, you can also catch me on TV3 um, doing um, a tech segment on First Line on a Thursday morning. But also on this coming Monday, Paul, we're going to be chatting more tech and a little bit more CES. Yes, we'll be morning. doing another one of those... Um you versus me or something <laughs> chit-chatting about uh, uh, CES and we might show off one or two of the uh, one or two of the gadgets as well right absolutely yeah yep that's uh, good th- yeah that'll be that'll be a bit of fun so uh, yeah thanks everyone for uh, for listening in uh, you can catch us online at nztechpodcast.com uh, and you can find other great New Zealand podcasts at podcasts.co.nz all right thanks everyone catch you next week thanks. see ya The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications, data networks built for business.